On today's Josh Nason's Punch-Out, we continue with the Pro Wrestling Year in Review Series with a stop in October. And of course, October featured more talk, more fallout from the all-out brawl-out situation. So we get into that, including rumors of a CM Punk buyout, a steal being released from the company, and Chris Jericho and other names being reportedly unwilling to work with Punk in AEW. We also had Sammy Guevara and Andrade getting into a social media war of words that then turned into an actual fight. We talk all about that. On the WWE side of things, it was a quiet month relatively. They did have Extreme Rules, which featured Ronda Rousey regaining the SmackDown title, the return of Bray Wyatt, and also the return of the Good Brothers. We talk all about that. And also, of course, the death of Antonio Inoki, passing away at 79 years old. We chat about that, what that meant to the business, and everything else. Joining me this week, famed Twitter personality and also a podcaster and writer, Trevor Dane. So let's get right to it. October 2022 in the world of pro wrestling on the Year Review series on Josh Nason's Punch-Out. Well, the year interview series keeps going and you know i've been bringing on a lot of first-time guests on this series i like to uh to deepen the bench talk to new people and i wanted to get someone a little bit different not a traditional writer or a you know journalist so to speak you know go go outside the go outside the realm a bit and i'm like who can who can i talk to and then found someone that is my my soulmate when it comes to press conferences and media calls of all types He's the man that you know. He's one of my uh, favorite Twitter followers, and I know that, um, or follows rather, and someone that, you know, you would say that sometimes that's kind of like saying it's your favorite proctologist or something like that when someone's a favorite Twitter follower. However, this is someone you know and someone I enjoy quite a bit. He is the host of Through the Years, a, a podcast focused on the uh, week-to-week goings, uh, doings of ROH back in the day, going episode by episode and so on. does some good work there. Trevor Dane has arrived. Trevor, welcome to the show. Glad you could make it. Josh, thank you so much for having me. Although I will say, if I had a dime for every time someone introduced me to somebody as, oh, I'm going to give you something a little bit different. Uh, I'd have a lot of fun right now. I feel like that's the introduction I get from a lot of uh, girlfriends, friends, relatives. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's becoming a pattern. Um, but thank you very much. Well, good. I've uh, like I said, I've been a big fan of your uh, your your comedic stylings on Twitter, and and granted, Twitter can be a terrible place, but I think for <laughs> uh, for my taste for wrestling, I, I really I find myself going to see what you think a lot, and I, I think because you know I think you you kind of like you don't take this stuff like so seriously. You do, but you don't take it like you know so ironclad seriously all the time. And also, I I love the. Uh, the takes that you have on press conference stuff, especially the Tony Khan stuff. And especially, uh, you know, I, I was watching along as I'm trying to write something for the observer site during the, um, final battle, uh, post event press conference. I'm like reading your stuff instead. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I should probably be doing my work instead. So well done. Well done. We're, 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 uh, uh savants or, or lovers of this, uh, press conference life. <laughs> I got sucked into, I did it after just one AEW pay-per-view because I was, 
just still on a buzz from the show. I forget which one. And all of a sudden I got a bunch of people saying, oh, you got to do it for the next one. I thought I didn't really do anything different than you can see on a million other websites that cover it live. And then, of course, came the uh, the all-out press conference where I ended up becoming almost like a tiny bit like this came back to how where I think I wrote before that co press conference is the last one before that had been kind of boring. I went, Oh, like this will be probably like every other press conference, like very inconsequential and nothing will happen. And then within like minutes, the, one of the biggest wrestling stories of the year was happening. So yeah, that basically I'm doomed now to these things. I feel like, because <laughs> I feel like I can't miss one now because, and you know what the sad thing is that will probably nothing like that will probably ever happen ever, ever, ever again. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so you do the, uh, the through the years podcast, which is available. Uh, you can see it on your uh, Twitter profile as well. Link, link there. You have a Patreon, so on, uh, what other stuff do you do for people that, uh, uh, may not be familiar with that uh, podcast or anything? Yeah. Um, the through the years podcast, I'll just know it's spelled T H R O H. We spell it that way. Cause it's cute. Cause it's about the early uh -huh. ring of honor. I do with, uh, Matt Feuerstein, who's my friend and he came up with the idea for the show when we've been doing that for over a hundred episodes, we had a lot of great feedback from people in the company, people outside of the company, a lot of great guests. That's probably the best thing I do. Um, I used to write for Fan Fight, which was the wrestling offshoot of Fan Bite. That's sadly departed. Uh, I have a Patreon with some Again, you can see all this on my Twitter, which is at Trevor Dame. It has a little pinned thread at the top. I think that has links to a bunch of stuff. I should probably do a link tree if that's allowed again. And I currently write for Wrestling Inc. I do a lot of like very kind of basic features, yep. listicles, things like that. And um, yeah, so that's that basically covers it. Mostly people just say, hey, I liked the dumb tweet you made. Can you do a podcast? <laughs> so that, that's, that's mostly everything else is just I mean, the, the 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 through the years podcast is the, is my real baby, but everything right. else is uh, more goof fun. Yeah, Dameco Industries going strong, right? Yeah, yes, yes. Good. Well, let's get to what we're uh, going to talk about here, which is October, and so 468 headlines scanned through the month to deliver all this to you. And in past editions, and usually what we what I do is I I try pull out some of the kind of like the bigger stories of the month, and going through this, everything was like. There was interesting kind of like blips, but there really wasn't anything like, for example, like September with the all out uh, brawl out uh, uh, press conference and all that or, you know, the Vince McMahon stuff or things like that. So what we'll do in this one is I'll go through a bunch of these headlines and I'll kick it over to you for for thoughts. And you know, we can spend some uh, you know, specific time on, on certain ones or what have you, because, uh, yeah, this is kind of just like in, in WWE and AEW is kind of like an even flow month, I, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. That's how I say it. So I guess we'll start with uh, with WWE first. And again, most of these are in chronological order. We'll, we'll do it this way. So the uh, a jury found in favor of Randy Orton's tattoo artist in a lawsuit against WWE and Take-Two Interactive. That happened. Max Dupree returned to being LA Knight. Again, the, the post-Vince era, or it could be post-pre-Vince era. However, this goes out. Uh, it, it was taking place, obviously, with the uh, names being returned, first names being pulled out the lost and found bin and returned. But yeah, Max Dupree returned to being LA Knight with Extreme Rules, which had Daniel Cormier, former UFC double division champion, guest refereeing the fight pit match between Riddle and Seth Rollins. Later on, he said it may lead to something bigger. We have not seen that yet. We had Ronda Rousey regaining the SmackDown title, and Rousey later saying that she pitched a thumbtacks finish to the match, but that did not happen. Of course, the 
The big story was the uh, the Bray Wyatt return. Of course, the end of the trail for the uh, the White Rabbit, leading to what many expected was Bray Wyatt, who just you know, the, <laughs> right as the uh, the title match was ending, or sorry, the main event was ending. Yeah, Seth Rollins walking to back, and all of a sudden the lights went out, and they were like, "All right, let's move, let's to the back, let's go to the next thing." And we had the Bray Wyatt, um, uh, Bray Wyatt return. We'll talk about that in a second. We had some uh, several stars making their debuts: Josh Briggs, Brooks Jensen, and Fallon Henley making uh, NXT stars making their debut in main event. Legato del Fantasma got a call up to the main roster, and then we had an announced team shakeup, which we had uh, Michael Cole and Wade Barrett SmackDown, Kevin Patrick, Corey Graves to Raw. Vic Joseph, Booker T, Danks T, Michael Cole and Corey Graves to pay-per-views. Jimmy Smith was let go, and he said that Triple H accidentally revealed he was being fired before Raw. And then also uh, Nigel Beginnis was uh, released as well. Uh, former Tough Enough winner Sarah Lee passed away. Gable Stevenson was now training with WWE full-time after a heart procedure. And then we had uh, Vince McMahon, the Nine Lives documentary, got a premiere date on Vice, but that would later change. Undertaker's One Dead Man show is coming to Boston during Survivor Series week. And then Dwayne The Rock Johnson said his presidential run is off the table. Let's start with that chunk. Anything there uh, catch your interest in far as like uh, looking back at a newsworthy view? Uh, obviously, the big story is uh, Max Dupree returning to the L.A. night. But uh, <laughs> no, um, uh, obviously, I, I think, you know, the biggest story from there would be the extreme rules because, you know, that was a, a, a fairly good show. But also, obviously, the Bray Wyatt thing, I, I think the big story from WWE in this entire month would be just how um bit you know big the bray wyatt return was i i think it comes later in the month but there was something i think when i was looking over things that happened this month there was something to the degree of like the the dx reunion show had been had sold like a crazy amount of tickets like in the final week or so and it, it was like well the dx reunion had been announced for a long time so they figured it had to be bray wyatt and it was, it was crazy to see, like, it, I feel like the Bray Wyatt situation was almost like the new Coke thing, where it's not like where, you know, for in the 80s or whatever, when uh, Coke took away Coke for new Coke and then brought back regular Coke and then sales went wild because people realized they missed it, even though they had regular Coke for a long time and they, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of took it for granted, where I feel like people were so excited just for, like, the same Bray Wyatt stuff. I think people love teases and uh, they, not everyone loves Bray Wyatt, but clearly some people love Bray Wyatt. Yeah. We're talking about this. Uh, the show hasn't, it'd be up by the time people hear this, but um, Colin McGuire and I were talking about kind of the, we we're talking about the, the white rabbit lead in and how it was such a, a social media success. WB of course, hammering everyone over the head about that. And that, you know, potentially they're going to try something about uh, with that again. We'll, we'll actually see if that's as successful. It's, I think it's kind of hard, obviously, to, to kind of go back at, at the well again. But, you know, the, the Bray Wyatt thing really just, to me, hasn't really worked. It's been this, like, again, he he re, uh, resumed his uh, his activity, uh, revived himself in, in October. And you know, I think part of the excitement was that people thought, because it was the Triple H regime that the fully realized Bray Wyatt creative genius was going to be unleashed and that, you know, Vince didn't really get it, was holding him back. And there was all this intrigue about all these characters with Bray character initially, the um, the um, the Cape Fear kind of style, you know, character. Then you had obviously The Fiend, which had its, its detractors and lovers and weird people online that really, really loved The Fiend. But I think people are, okay, we're finally going to get this. And we're what? almost three months into this, two months into this, give or take. And it's, it's kind of like 
well, now what? We have this Uncle Howdy character. We have the feud with L.A. Knight. It doesn't, to me, it just is not, it's not really doing anything for me. It's kind of like, well, what are we waiting for? And that that uh, fresh car smell has uh, changed quite a bit. That, that's with me anyway. What do you think? It feels kind of like uh, something that people, including me, criticize AEW a lot for, which is they have a really hot angle or moment, and then they kind of don't do an immediate follow-up. Like, I can't see why you would have, like, I realize this is probably just something for him to do before he probably does something bigger for WrestleMania season, but I can't see why you would see, you know, Bray Wyatt, at least for a short term, you know, th- this tease of him coming back was drawing bigger ratings and selling tickets. People were so excited. It was getting such good reactions online. And then he finally does come back and you're like, let's not really have him wrestle and let's put him immediately into a feud with LA Knight. Like, I... That, that seems like just a, you know, it, it's cooling him off. Like, yeah, you hear he was one of the most talked about things and you really don't hear much now. I think the Uncle Howdy thing that just happened right before we recorded this a few days ago, like, is probably the most reaction he's gotten in weeks. And that I don't think that's necessarily for 100% positive reasons. But mm. I guess that the thing I would say is, like, I say this a lot. Um, Bray Wyatt, to me, is a 10 out of 10 for style He's like a two or a three out of 10 for substance. Like he's not a terrible wrestler, but he's not a particularly good wrestler is, you know, his music is great. His look is great. His general kind of charisma is great. His just his vibe for lack of a better word. But like, if you actually look at the substance of his promos, they're rarely about anything. It's always fine when people say like, Oh, you know, Vince against holding him back. Or do you see the deeper meanings of a lot of this stuff? And I, maybe I'm just crazy. I don't see like incredible depth and I don't know if it happened this month, but I remember, you know, right around this time was when Seth Rollins put out, like did an interview, a media interview. And he basically said like the quiet part out loud where he was like, yeah, people that feud with Bray Wyatt don't really come out more over after the feud, they come out colder. And I I don't think that I really kind of don't feel like that's going to change probably. Yeah, I think you're going to be right. So let's go over some uh, more headlines for the month. Uh, speaking of Bray Wyatt, Bo Dallas was reportedly set for his return, and it sounds like he it could be the Uncle Howdy character. We'll, uh, we'll see. Good Brothers made their return. A lot of returns and uh, rumors and such this month. Seth Rollins, just talked about him, won the United States title on Raw. WB reportedly had interest in Matt Taven. So did another company. We'll talk about that in a minute. They announced an eight-stop campus rush. College athlete promotional tour, again, kind of just really, really pushing heavy in that recruitment. Uh, Aaliyah confirmed that she had rib and shoulder injuries that would keep her on the shelf. Dakota Kai said that WB told her initially she'd be in the 2021 draft. Solakoa said he had never he had not seen Roman Reigns over 20 years before he made his WB main roster debut. Soraya, in, in the post-AEW uh, interview circuit, uh, revealed that she was offered the GM role. She was offered a chance to wrestle after her deal expired as Triple H tried to keep her services, but that didn't work. She considered that she confirmed that rather that she considered a return to WB and kind of revealed why she chose AEW. Liv Morgan was announced to be appearing on the Chucky TV series. Uh, Cameron Grimes was at Raw and was uh, put here likely for a main event taping. He did work a main event taping. So again, more call-ups and, and, and uh, first looks, so to speak, on main event. Rhea Ripley returned to in-ring action after a, a, a little bit of an absence there at a house show. Day one was officially canceled, and there were more changes to come uh, for the 2023 pay-per-view schedule. We haven't seen all those changes yet, but I assume 
stadium shows and kind of moving some things around as they uh they really love the money and they love the uh the the stadium things the clash at the castle that type of stuff so i think more of those are going to be to come uh more call-ups or uh, first looks carmelo hayes and von wagner worked a main event taping bobby lasher revealed he once pitched gaining a lot of weight for a quote-unquote severe depression wb storyline ray mysterio got moved over to smackdown and baron corbin got traded to raw and old friend jbl decide to, uh, they brought him back, which everyone was asking for, you know. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley was announced for Crown Jewel as that show started to take shape. And then The Rock and Nick Khan had talked about future WWE involvement, didn't reveal what that was, but they had done some talking. It was kind of in a in a vein of uh, what you've been interested in becoming part of the front office or ownership or something along those lines, but he didn't give any uh, real details. Thoughts about any of that? Yeah, a couple, I think a couple of the things that really jump out at me there is, First, the day one thing I thought was fascinating because uh, I, I guess it was always reported at the time that that was like one of, you know, Nick Khan usually is more the business side, but that was more one of his babies. I think people said like the idea of, oh, let's always do a show, you know, on the first day of the year. And on one hand, you could say, OK, that's a good idea because I think the wrestling, there, there's a rich wrestling history of of like wrestling shows that happened either right after or even on the day of big holiday events. I mean, you know, wrestling in the past had a big history of Thanksgiving events, even Christmas day events. So the idea of, Oh, new year starts, new year's day, let's do a big wrestling preview in a way that sounds good. But you, then you, I think everyone kind of realized the immediate problem, which is like wrestling fans tend to nowadays be used to wrestling previews on a Saturday or a Sunday. And if you're just rigidly always doing a show on January 1st, most years it's not going to be on a weekend and and the history of wrestling pay-per-views not on a weekend are are not good you know wwe tried back when they were the wwf is tuesday in texas Mm -hmm. or cyber tuesday all that stuff and it's never really been a big success and i kind of feel like it's one of the first times i'm sure nick khan knows a fair bit about the wrestling business but it was one of the first times i kind of got this feeling of oh like the fact that he's a businessman in wrestling and not a wrestling person in business, it it showed there, even though he's always done a ton of big things for WWE. And I wonder if this was like a triple H thing of just being like, you know what? Maybe Vince wouldn't tell you no, cause he's in love with you. Cause you're making me so much money, <laughs> but this probably isn't the best idea to do a show always on January 1st. Right. Good point. Yep. Uh, let's go through uh, this final run in WWE. Steve Austin animated series was revealed to be, being held up by Peacock and WWE. And this was revealed by the uh, comedian and actor from Billions, who I'm completely forgetting, but if, uh, the name Dan something. Um, I wrote the story. I should remember this. However, <laughs> if you ever watch that show, he's a guy that's obsessed with WWE stuff. So go uh, you can go find him there. Uh, the company said they were considering, or it was learned rather, they were considering a returning uh, the King of the Ring to a, a pay-per-view or a premium live event, as they call them. Company is planning a special episode of 30th for the 30th anniversary of Raw. Uh, it was revealed that Montreal would host the 2023 Elimination Chamber, which should be a nice homecoming for Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Xavier Woods was announced as appearing on an episode of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, and Wheel of Fortune actually was casting for special WWE-themed episodes in 2023. Nikki Cross made her return and interfered in a main event of Raw. Sasha Banks and Naomi were set for the Vulture Festival. Again, no idea at this point what they were up to, but I believe they uh, they also did not go through with that uh, appearance. Emma made her return to WWE and SmackDown. Everyone asking for Emma. 
It was revealed that Shinsuke Nakamura was going to face the Great Muda at the NOAA New Year Show in 2023. Again, one of these rare cases that you see a WWE talent working outside the company, especially for a Japanese company. Again, the Triple H era definitely in full effect. Tommaso Ciampa underwent hip surgery. Kevin Patrick joined after the bell. The podcast is the new co-host. I don't know if I've ever heard that show once. Carmella opened up about uh, suffering a miscarriage in her uh, ectopic pregnancy. Triple H missed an episode of Raw due to COVID-19. Sasha Banks appeared on USA Network's Barmageddon. The Road Dog, we'll talk more about this on the, on the Billy Gunn side of things and Tony Khan. But they had the, uh, the aforementioned DX reunion. But of course, Billy Gunn wasn't there. And then Road Dog sent a podcast that Billy Gunn texted him saying, I'm in. Of course, he wasn't there and he wasn't happy he wasn't there. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Coming announced a European tour for April 2023. And Ric Flair, of course, big surprise, would love to return to WWE. And his new documentary was going to be out on Peacock and WWE Network by the end of 2022, which uh, actually I believe is coming out at this point in a couple of days. Thoughts on any of that? Yeah. Uh, well, first off, how many <laughs> Ric Flair documentaries are we going to oh get at this God. point? Especially when, like, I feel like if I was Ric Flair at this point, as much as I love celebrations of my life, after like the one ESPN one, like, I feel like he kind of dodged a bullet. Like he got that one in the 30 for 30 just under the wire where that would have like destroyed his career there because it's, <laughs> I feel like that ESPN 30 for 30 with Flair is like a fascinating time capsule because that is a very high production documentary where they make literally like anim um, animated cartoon segment of Ric Flair flashing random women. And I feel like just like a year or two later, that would not be acceptable. And you compare that to like, you know, the uh, dark side of the ring episode where uh, they talk about the plane ride from hell, which, you know, the flair story from there, which is, you know, a little definitely more the accusations there are more severe, but they're kind of in the same they're on the same menu of accusations as something he admitted to on the 30 for 30. And, um, you know, that got him out of WWE and cost him an AEW job. And so I feel like if I'm Ric Flair, every documentary, I'm like. It's like, you know what, it's probably a safer bet that you just don't do this because I wonder if like Ric Flair can help himself. I wonder if he's saying like, please, like just be kind. Edit. You're probably gonna have to edit out a lot of things here for my own good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he said that for, for what it's worth, he said this is the best one yet. So <laughs> best one until the next one, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's uh let's go to uh NXT. We'll scroll through all these. Uh Mackenzie Mitchell and Mr. Yeah, Mackenzie Mitchell and Vic Joseph got married. Oni Lorcan returned to the company, working as a full-time coach at the Performance Center. A month of appearances on NXT, more main roster appearances. Kevin Owens, The Brawling Brutes, Sonya Deville, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Austin Theory all appeared on different episodes throughout the month. Veer Mahan reappeared on NXT, and he met Sangha as their tag team would begin. Ariana Grace revealed that she was injured and would require surgery. Tank Ledger, the security guy, made his debut on Level Up. Shawn Michaels said that the company has every intention of running NXT specials outside Florida. Obviously, that announcement would come just a couple of months as uh, they announced in December. They're heading to Charlotte in February. The company confirmed a deadline special for December 10th. Lo and behold, the same day as Ring of Honor Final Battle. What a weird coincidence, right? <laughs> Wes Lee won the North American title, the vacant North American title at Halloween Havoc. Ava Rain, a.k.a. Simone Johnson, was revealed as a new schism member on NXT. Electra Lopez and Odyssey Jones made their returns. Vignettes aired for the new character scripts on NXT. And then Jakar Jackson made her debut on Level Up. Thoughts about any of that? 
Uh, NXT is in a really interesting place around this point because I feel like it's... I kind of wonder what is NXT's identity right now? Because when Triple H used to run, it had a very clear identity of it was trying to be like a high budget version of the super indie and kind of taking on those companies and being positioned as a rival for AEW, which, you know, went after some of the same market. And then Triple H gets ousted for a while and uh, it becomes a dramatically different thing, but it still had a clear vision where it was much more over-the-top characters and all about rather than like the indie darlings that are like really developed wrestlers that should probably already be on the main roster it's a lot of really fresh trainees and now i feel like with triple h back it's kind of in this weird middle nether ground you see that in some of these stories where you know he's trying to you know use nxt again to kind of go after competition like putting you know a a takeover style event right up against um final battle he's trying to you know he's putting some wwe wrestlers guest starring you know nxt now is more a little bit back to more serious good wrestling but then you still have characters like scripts you still have a (laughs) lot of ridiculous vignettes you still have a lot of not particularly far along trained wrestlers i'm i just part of me kind of wonders like who is nxt for right now it just feels like it's in this weird middle section yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think we're going to tell a lot or know a lot post-WrestleMania when they traditionally do some call-ups. Because I think you're going to start, you know, I think it's, that'll be what, five months from now? That's a, yeah. I think it'll be a pretty good indication of kind of where Shawn Michaels and where Triple H kind of see that being. Because you get, once you get this next kind of, these guys that have been there for a while up and out and guys and girls, you'll kind of see like, or right, who's this next you know, next generation, so to speak, of NXT talent that they think are going to take them through the next, you know, 18 months or something like that. I think I think we're going to understand that a lot more. Uh, we'll see where some of the performance center people are and the recruits and things like that. Obviously, they've done a lot more looks on on main event, but, uh, you know, not not a ton of those have been, like, outstanding. They're very, you know, it's interesting. Is, you know, they, they debut people on the main roster, and usually – even a main event, it's a very like uh, low pressure environment, even though it's obviously a lot of pressure for them. But they, the matches are so boring, you know, they don't really do anything to stand out. And very few people, you can kind of see the crowd reactions. They're kind of like, they don't know them, but they don't, the talents, they don't give them any like real rope to do things that would make them stand out. Like, oh, I can't wait to see this person when they come up. I know it's a, you know, it's not a true traditional main roster call up, but I, I, you know, I wish they would do, take a little bit more opportunity, maybe create some real buzz about that show since it's available on Hulu and so many people get Hulu to, to try to like do something like make these matches like good, you know, and make them like really entertaining, yeah. have them, have them like have some fun with it. That's the one thing I, I have not really kind of seen with this triple H regime is take those opportunities to, to, to go outside the box and try some different stuff that didn't happen before. Don't do a chin lock spot, you know, three minutes into a match with someone that's supposed <laughs> to be a fun high flyer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, again, it's like, you know, what is main event for at this point? You know, it, right now it just feels kind of like another hour to fill, which I, I, you know, that's what wrestling, I guess, is now. It's major companies just having a ton of hours that they can sell as a as a big package of media to some big corporation. But, you know, yeah, I, I you know, at NXT wrestlers, it used to be when um they debuted on the main roster it was a huge deal and now it feels like some of those wrestlers they they almost get like this soft launch or this tease on, on on stuff like main event where it's like well 
we'll dip our toe in the water and yeah, it, 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 again, it's just, um, well, I wonder if it's a uh, triple H is just still like going to kind of filter through this current crop of young rookies that got signed and then change things back more to his old NXT as things, uh, as those people graduate or get released or get sorted out, or if this is kind of the new normal, you know, where it's kind of a mix of things. Yeah. I think we'll learn a lot by the uh, next round of cuts too. And I know it's a different regime and they're hiring back a lot of people that, you know, if they're going to have some call-ups that's still, you still, they've, they've always done cuts every single year. Cause there's some people that just, they just don't make it or their creative time is up. So yeah, I think we're going to, I think, I think that WrestleMania season this year is going to be pretty interesting. For a lot of that. Speaking of interesting, Trevor Dean, let's flip to AEW. And there was a couple stories that rose to the the top of the list as I was going through this. One is, of course, in October. This you know we're about a month out from the the brawl out uh, at the in Chicago, the post uh, post event press conference for all out. That's been talked to death. But again, we we were as we talked about the last episode. There was so little trickles of real information. It was trying to trying to like getting blood from a stone, trying to figure out what was going on. Were there actually suspensions? How long were they lasting? What what are we looking at? Who's talking to who? And it was it was really hard, even for you know it wasn't Dave wasn't getting a ton of stuff, and and you know we're talking behind the scenes, and it's just trying to get information. A lot of people just weren't talking for a lot of reasons, but we did learn that CM Punk and AEW were in talks about a contract buyout. At this point, we don't know where that sits. If it's happened, uh, I I don't. No one's talking about it, but at this point, as we talk on Tuesday, December 20th, that Punk is still with the company. We have no idea how long that is, but then we know there was a, a hitch along the way with the the non-compete level. And again, the non-compete uh, part of the story led so many people to think, well, because he's going to go back to WWE, and people really kind of jumped the gun, I think, on that, just assumed he was going to go back, but we're not really not sure what's going on with that. We do know a steal. Uh, Punk's friend was released from AEW, so we didn't really get definitive answers on some of this, but we kind of got a lot of giant breadcrumbs that something was going to go on with him, including this one, which was Chris Jericho and other quote-unquote key top names said they were unwilling to work with CM Punk in AEW anymore. And so you kind of put all those together and, you know, we kind of get an idea of who talks to who with, you know, certain stories that get out there and everything that, that CM Punk's days in AEW seem to be numbered or done it just wasn't official yet is that kind of what your what your read was as well yeah i mean i guess well here's the thing we don't know how fluid a situation this is i mean time does heal wounds things can change i mean we talk about chris jericho saying he won't work with cm punk chris jericho ended up working with bill goldberg who i think i mean he had his <laughs> own brawl out confrontation <laughs> with that guy i mean he, yeah. he didn't have anything face to face with cm punk so i think that right there is an example of you can end up working with people you outright have violent confrontations with, let alone someone you just think is kind of a grumpy asshole. But um, yeah, I guess to me, the interesting thing here would be like, if you're Tony Khan, do you just eat the contract to ice punk out? I mean, that probably in some ways would be bad PR, but I remember a couple press conferences ago, Tony Khan, you know, made, made a really cryptic comic where it, it was about that that event where that pay-per-view where WWE put an event right up against it. And Tony was really mad. That might have been the all-out one. Tony yes. was really mad. And he had a lot of comments where he's like, you know, they're trying to bully me around like they bullied Crockett. But, you know, I have a lot more money than them. Mm -hmm. And people, including me, were wondering, like, 
well, how can you really use that money to like fight back other than just sign away guys? And I guess one thing you could do if you wanted to burn money would be like, you're not coming back, but we will just pay you to sit at home. I mean, that's a massive probably outlay of money if the, the rumors of how much he was making is true. But if you if you think there's any chance that he could go back to WWE and he will not agree to that, um, to a no compete that would go that far, I guess that's something you could do. I mean, Parby wonders if that's a hope. I mean, I have no clue, but it is an, it is an interesting thing to think of because that is something you could do that would pr- conceivably hurt WWE, but you'd have to pay a lot of money to make that happen. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, and I try to uh, try to get, you know, too idealistic about some things and you kind of end up in the fan fiction end of stuff. Right. But I, I just, I keep thinking like, is there a way, and you mentioned time heals all wounds, because he's obviously recovering from that torn triceps anyway. Is, is there any shot at a, at a reconciliation? Obviously, there's the Cole Cabana stuff, which is like a huge issue. Um, but is it, you know, is you have to think Tony Khan's like, CM Punk makes me a, a, a lot of money, a lot of interest, a lot of fans love him. And obviously there's something big with this and big in terms of, uh, you know, AEW creative has felt kind of flat for a while and it's been good in spots, bad in others, but this could be like a really hot thing if he were to come back and there was some sort of feud with the elite. Obviously that would be massive. And you know, of course people would say, Oh, it was a work the whole time, whatever, but whatever. Is there any op- opportunity three, four months from now for them, everyone to just talk and, and try to iron out the issues and at least give this a shot. A- am I being too idealistic and thinking that could happen? Would you want to see that uh, happen? I would love to see that. I mean, I think it's an absolute tragedy that they can't work this out. And I guess there's always a shot. I guess the thing I would say about that is, I guess the odds are, how big are the odds of CM Punk being able to say, apologize in some way, or find some kind of soft landing where he can save some face, but also kind of give something? Because I feel like, AEW has been too antagonistic in the sense of, you know, the Colt Cabana match with Jericho, you know, the Bucks, you know, you know, and, and Kenny Omega taunting, doing all the CM Punk jokes and mannerisms during that match in Chicago, things like that. And then even, you know, you have so many wrestlers talking off the record about, oh, we won't work with Punk anymore if he did come back. And Chris Jericho actually, you know, going on the record. I mean, I, I feel like at this point we're in a position where either you'd need like 30 wrestlers to say sorry to CM Punk or CM Punk to say sorry. And so I really feel like only one of those probably at this point is possible. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's very likely. I mean, I hope it could happen, but I feel like it's almost like they've made AEW's made that mountain even harder to climb. And now it's made. So it's like, Punk's gonna go after a lot farther to meet them in the middle at this point because they've they slung a, a a fair bit of shit on him since then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing. As part of that, when all that happened, I'm like, is that is there something going on that that this is part of a longer story? Or I, well, I'll see how this plays out. But again, you, you kind of slip into fan fiction. But if you think too deeply into this, but I don't know. I think it'd be kind of fun. I know it would be fun. It would be interesting. And I think it'd be it'd be a really hot angle if you had some sort of feud down the road. But uh, but who knows? We will see. I mean, if it was Punk and the Elite, that would be probably the biggest thing, ironically, that 
AEW's probably ever done, I would bet. Oh, I bet huge. you you could set records for that. And it's funny because Punk was talking about in that all-out press conference, like, hey, I want to, you know, grow this business and all that. And it's like he was literally creating the thing that would grow that company more than anything else. But the ironic thing is they will probably never be able to get along enough to do it. So can you imagine if they were able to do a Punk Omega match at All Out in September? You know, you could easily sell the United Center. They 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 love doing that smaller venue, but if you're able to do something that really could stretch out, I mean, that would be just, it'd be just so much fun. It's a, it's a goddamn shame that this probably might not happen. It'd just be yeah. a, a fun thing to happen. Punk and FTR versus, you know, the Bucks yes. and Omega, even like stuff like that. It's like, there's so much natural stuff on the table. Like it books itself. Yeah. And I mean, they must really hate each other because man, you could, you could do so much. And, you know, if you, if you're really about pleasing the fans, I mean, it's all right there for you, but I guess you know when you when you all already probably have a, quite a bit of money in your bank accounts, yeah, you can kind of give in to hate. I guess I, I'd love to be in that position, Josh. I, <laughs> wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? Speaking of hate, another uh, issue backstage, just being a little bit more out in the open in terms of what happened and who was involved and and all that as well. Um, so this, of course. This was the you know essentially three month uh, arc of backstage issues and so on and kind of rearing their ugly head. Sammy Guevara and Andre Il Idolo engaged in a uh, social media war of words. I remember uh, hearing about or seeing this, and one of our, our uh, lead editor Joe Curry was posting on our Slack. He's like, what, "What is? It? Can we just kind of like watching this?" And we're like, "Is this a work? Is this what is this going on?" We kind of think, "Ah, it feels like it's working a little bit." Then it seemed to go into an area that it wasn't, and it's like, "Okay, it seems pretty kind of pretty serious." And then there was a a fight. There was a match scrap. There, Andrade was sent home following a backstage fight with Sammy Guevara. Uh, Andrade was scheduled for a match with Ten for Rampage. That was supposed to be filmed later that night. That match was scrapped. It was just, all this kind of happening like really uh, shortly before uh, Dynamite was supposed to start. And we learned afterwards that Sammy Guevara and Andrade were warned by the company about not fighting. Both guys said, "Okay, we won't. Nothing will happen." And then more details about the altercation emerged, and it seemed like. Uh, uh, Andrade sucker punched him and there was just a, a fight outside the locker room and what have you. Maybe a couple punches were thrown and Sammy Guevara was uh, done focusing on the negativity. He said, and he wasn't going to comment anymore on the altercation, but this, again, this was kind of the, the last vestiges of this um, internal strife and that the company kind of trying to, trying to work out from again, we, in the series talked about some of the things in August with uh, disgruntled talent and obviously what happened in September. And of course, one of the things that got, um, kind of overlooked and the whole all out stuff was the interesting, the incident between Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara. So now you have Sammy Guevara getting involved in this other thing. Of course, Andrade, uh, essentially trying to get out of the company. That has not happened at this point. He got, you know, uh, surgery and he's going to be out for some time. Who knows? Could be another guy that gets iced out. This is uh, another kind of, again, in, in a, a, was a growing list of altercations and issues backstage. This was, this was another interesting one that I think people don't really talk about a lot, but it, it happened. And at the time, it was a pretty big story. Yeah, it, I, I still wonder how much of it is he like is Andrade legit had a beef with Sam. I'm sure he had, some, you know, they, I'm sure there was they really disliked each other on to some level. But how much of this was literally him going, if I stew this, maybe I get out of my contract, you mm -hmm. know, because we know WWE reached out to a bunch of guys and told them, hey, Triple H is here. You'll be treated different. You know, come back home. And, you know, his fiance is that Charlotte is, is still in WWE. And 
I mean, they outright warned him. So, like, they knew ahead of time that this was a real chance. You would think if you warned them, you would probably also tell them maybe to stay separate from each other. But, um, yeah, I, I in, a, in a way, you know, it probably screwed him more because I feel like you really can't set that precedent that if, you know, if you hit Sammy Guevara, you get your the release you want because I think then Sammy Guevara's life would probably be a living hell. There's probably at least four or five other people they will be waiting in line to punch him at this point. But, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's ridiculous. It's immature. It's funny. Cause everyone, like when they brought Roosh in, they were like, Oh, you know, you know, his history, you know, he's going to, and so far Roosh has been pretty well behaved and kind of overachieved. And he's basically kind of taken over Andrade's spot basically because of this. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. This happened because there was a, yeah, essentially, Andrade said that Sammy claimed he was being too stiff with him, and of course, that's what you do. And and uh, and you, you know, it's it's kind of you know, if you basically if you potato someone, you potato him right back, you have the receipt back. And yeah, it was this is a very interesting, uh, very, very interesting uh, part of AEW's uh, kind of the end of some of the arguments. But I don't know who knows where all this stuff is going, going to go. Uh, but yeah, Andrade, it's yeah. And of course, I you know I asked this is before the surgery. I asked Tony Khan at that press conference. I asked him about Miro and Andrade, and we'll talk about Miro in a second. But yeah, Noah, I, they could release him, and I think that they would be. I, I think they would be fine. He's not going to be a you know a detriment or anything like that in terms of like oh I can't believe we let him go because obviously WWE's roster is pretty pretty stacked. I I can see them letting him go if they can't work anything out. You know, by the time he's recovered, if, if it's a money saver, like if they want to sign somebody else and their budget's pretty tight, and they're like, look, we can save. I don't know, eight hundred thousand dollars, whatever he's getting paid, or something like that. You know, I could see them releasing him, but I, you're right that it's a uh, it's a bad precedent to set. If you give, if you get in a fight, you get released. That's an easy way for guys to get cut, especially when you said no to other people that did not right. do that. You know, it's almost like you're re- then rewarding bad <laughs> behavior. Agreed. All right, let's go through some of the other uh, news and notes of the month. Uh, AW content no longer airing on space. In Mexico, South and Central America, Dan Lambert, remember him? Thought he was said he was thought he was getting stale in AEW, and he told Tony Khan he didn't want to overstay his welcome. Well done, Dan Lambert. Tony Khan said the rankings in AEW were a fluid situation. <laughs> this is why they never use them. Uh, Tony Khan also said WWE was likely to have a similar free agent profile as AEW does. Again, kind of alluding to the fact of how uh, Triple H likes his talent and saying that the, they were let you essentially going to start going after some of the same guys. One of those guys was Bandito, who was reported initially by Dave that he signed a full-time contract with AEW. However, a couple days later, or a day later, he had not signed his AEW contract because he had a WWE offer. He was mulling over those offers, and he was obviously heading over to Japan for some dates, and he would eventually sign with with AEW, but obviously there was some uh, question about whether he was going to do that or not. Julia Hart announced she was getting engaged to Lee Johnson, John Moxley signed a five-year contract extension with the company, and it was revealed later he was a free agent at one point and could have just appeared on WWE TV or anywhere while he was negotiating, but he decided not to. And for any type of indie dates, he said he wouldn't be advertised in advance. And the idea was he is going to be a coach, a mentor backstage, in addition to being a wrestler and doing less and less indie dates and so on. And we'll uh, talk about one of those final indie dates he did for GCW in just a bit. And then his wife, Renee Paquette, debuting at AEW's debut show in Toronto, uh, signed with AEW. She said it happened very fast. No plans for commentary at this time. With AEW Battle of the Belts 4, FTR versus Gates of Agony, an ROH title match, uh, tag team title match, and 
Nothing really of note as uh, has been the case with a lot of these Battle of the Belt shows. MJF said that AEW did a hotel room wellness check on him during a Double or Nothing weekend. Ethan Page said he agented, agented his first AEW match and wants the quote-unquote longest career humanly possible within the company. Zach Clayton, uh, a, a, uh, essentially the known as the husband of Jay Wow of Jersey Shore fame, signed a deal with AEW after doing a bunch of dark appearances. Cody Rhodes, when asked about the Elite and CM Punk situation, he denied that uh, the elent that the elite and CM Punk caused his departure from the company. WD, WBD was working with AEW on figuring out some new content that's not in a wrestling ring. And then Ari Hawani said that the Tony Khan interview that he did uh, that aired, I think, believe after the Toronto show, was one of the most frustrating of his career. Thoughts about any of that? Well, first the Ari Hawani thing. I mean, you got the scoop afterwards on that. Like, yes, I did. Yeah, no, I can't live up to that appearance. For, I'm not going to be throwing bombs on Brian Alvarez <laughs> right now. But, uh, but uh, okay, there, there's some big stories there. But the first thing I want to mention, because this is one of the stories this year that delighted me, even though it's not necessarily a good thing. But when A, I, this was, you know, in the Observer, when AEW, you know, stopped that uh, the Spanish language uh, deal they had there, Dave wrote in the Observer, he pointed out that, uh, the Spanish language commentary was not good because, in fact, like it seemed like at times, like the people did not know Spanish. <laughs> That's commentary. right. Yes. And I remember I tweeted, and I thought, well, is someone exaggerating? And I got so many replies from Spanish speaking people that watched it and were like, no, he's telling the truth. Like it is not good. And yeah, sometimes it seems like they don't have like a 100% perfect grasp of the language they're doing commentary. And I've always been fascinated by commentary ever since growing up watching, like when WWF would introduce like the mile long, you know, space for all sorts of different foreign commentary teams. Like how much leeway you hear about how, you know, strictly Vince would produce English language commentary, but like, how much leeway do those commentaries teams, you know, get? I always wondered, like, if right, you were right. the commentary team for, like, WWE in Germany, could you just, like, get away saying some shit and unless a bunch of fans freaked out? Like, I always wondered that stuff. And apparently with, with this AEW commentary, you uh, you could for a little while at least. You could kind of not be great at it. But, um, yeah, I guess the big thing there would be the Renee Paquette thing and John Moxley re-signing. And I... I think the thing people didn't talk enough of with the John Moxley thing was him saying he was temporarily a free agent. And I remember with um the CM Punk thing, when CM Punk came to AEW, I believe Tony Khan said something to the effect of like CM Punk had not put pen to paper till like the day of that show or right before, something like that. That that shocked me again. And I was like, that's crazy. And I feel like that's I mean, it hasn't burned him yet. But that's like a potential weakness. Like he, Tony Khan seems to have shown like a willingness to really kind of like let top stars still kind of work in the public eye or build them up when their contracts. I guess someone would argue it did play, it did burn him because I mean, Cody Rhodes, you know, they were mm -hmm. still pushing him fairly prominently. They basically let him do a goodbye promo. It sounded like for a time they really thought they were going to be able to keep him and then they didn't. And, but I, I feel like one day, if they keep doing this, this kind of thing where, it, you know, it makes for a great story of like, hey, I didn't have a contract right now, but I st stuck around and you know, we worked it out. Or, you know, hey, CM Punk, we were building him up, but we didn't even have it set in stone. The ink hadn't dried. One day, that's really going to burn them bad if they keep doing that, I feel like. I would agree. And you mentioned the uh, Spanish language issues, but you got, you remember the 
Japanese language announcer that they had to fire because uh, they were making a made kind of a laugh, like a, a one of the stereotypical like an Asian laugh at uh, during a Karushita match. You remember that? It was like last yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, like yeah. The only time sadly you hear about foreign commentary as an English speaking person is when something goes awfully, <laughs> awfully wrong. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, let's go over the rest of the month. There's a few uh, nuggets here. Uh, Sean Spears made his return to AEW and Dynamite in Toronto and then uh, wrestled a match with FTR. I believe that was on Rampage, and he has disappeared since then. Orange Cassidy won the All-Atlantic title by defeating Pac on an episode of Dynamite. The Bollywood Boys made their debut on an episode of, I believe it was Dark Elevation. Dark Order Stu Grayson returned in a backstage segment on Rampage and then has not been seen since. Kind of strange. The Kingdom... Slash OGK made their AEW debut on Rampage at the, uh, again, the final segment of the Toronto show, later revealed beside multi-year deals, and then they disappeared for about a month or so. Tony Khan, going back to the uh, Billy Gunn DX appearance, Tony Khan wanted AEW mention at the DX reunion in exchange for the Billy Gunn appearance, so that, of course, did not happen. There was a report that a behind-the-scenes docuseries is going to be begin filming in November, tying with the uh, aforementioned uh, WBD request. Chris Jericho, another guy that signed an extension. This uh, three-year extension with the deal and taking on new roles again. Both these coming off the uh, in the uh, the wake of all the backstage issues. So obviously the Tony Khan seeing some some problems and wanted to have some of his pillars, his older pillars, so to speak, solidified as things went along. Tony said that they'll have quote unquote great news soon about weekly ROH shows. We had the ROH final battle date, location, and a special start time announcement court that was. Uh, Dallas, Texas, and for a 4 o'clock show, just happened, what, two weeks ago as we sit here now. Rio made her return on Dynamite. The John Moxley versus MGF world title match was official for Full Gear, and also uh, the AEW world, the latest world title eliminator turn was set. Dante Martin and Ethan Page were the first names announced. The Acclaim versus Swerve in Our Glory 3 was announced for Full Gear. Hangman Page was diagnosed with a concussion after his uh, title challenge of John Moxley on an episode of Dynamite. The doctor stoppage, kind of just a scary, weird finish there. And a few days, he said, a few days after, he was feeling good. And he's been getting some brawls with uh, John Moxley as of late. So it looks like he is uh, on his way back, hopefully. AW announcer returning to LA in January 23. Jeff Hardy's pretrial hearing, the hearing that will never happen, uh, pushed back again. <laughs> Thunder Rosa said she was hopeful for a January turn, was still upset at the criticism she was getting for her back injury. SB Kento and La Estrella. Made their debuts on Dark. A couple of Dragon Gate talents. Will Nightingale officially signed with AEW. Very smart move by them. CJ Perry addressed Miro's absence, saying, quote unquote, Tony Khan has his favorites. Tony Khan called Eric Bischoff's, called him contradictory and hyper, 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 hypocritical, if I can say that, over his criticisms of AEW, which increased as as uh, his fame on YouTube also increased. Weird how that happens. AEW hired Tony Schiavone's son, Matt, as a TV producer. And Mike Tyson was announced to be re- returning for commentary for AEW Rampage from Atlantic City. So a few things there. Again, we have the Jericho signing. We have the uh, some Tony Khan stuff in there, the, the hangman di- concussion, and the road to full gear. Thoughts about any of that? What stands out? Uh, well, one thing, actually, it's, it's more a minor thing, but it goes back to what we were talking about before. Uh, talk about missed opportunities. Like it is so crazy to think that a, you know TNT or TBS is shooting another AEW like behind the scenes documentary reality show, and they're probably not going to be allowed to talk about the CM Punk stuff I and know. like the fallout of them. And again, it's another thing where you could basically have like probably like a you know like Bret Hart documentary like level 
new documentary that would probably get big ratings and huge budget if you document like, hey, we're going to really talk about this. We're going to bring punk back. We're gonna, you know, and it's another huge lost opportunity. But um, another story would be that that Tony Khan DX reunion because I thought <laughs> Road Dog was such a little shit when he did that because he does that interview where he's like, you know, Billy. We asked him right before, and he said, yeah, he's good, and then, you know, we would have loved to have him, and then you know, we couldn't do it. And it's just like, oh, you know. And then Tony Khan says, like, we would have let him do it, and our only like stipulation was we want you to say he's from AEW. And then they apparently WWE is like, oh, we'll get back to you. They stalled for a long time, and then they said, no, we're not going to do that. And it's like, I guess they point out, you know. They did that with Mickey James, where she worked the Royal Rumble, and they said she was from Impact Wrestling. They're literally letting Nakamura work for another promotion soon in a match, but they won't let they won't say Billy Gunn is from AEW. But I love how Road Dog just left that one little bit out, like just very selective. I thought that was uh, delightful, and yeah, the, the Jericho signing, you know, it, it's. Uh, the interesting thing that I, I would say about that is so much of this year, people talk about, you know, like there's been resentment from some of the wrestlers and from some fans. It's, it's not all unwarranted that, Oh, AW is like pushing WWE, former WWE wrestlers too hard over AEW originals. And what are the optics of that? And all this stuff. It's interesting to note that like the two big re-signs that are seen as like, not just two of their biggest stars, but kind of like their most loyal, and kind of best people in the locker room in some respects and like the stabilizing forces during an extremely, you know, crazy time for the company who just resigned are John Moxley and Chris Jericho. Like, I think that's a reminder to people that it's not where people come from. It's, you know, how well they take to heart their new home. Like, I don't think anyone would say that John Moxley is not very closely aligned with AEW right now, you know, or that Chris Jericho was a bad signing. And, uh, you know, I, I think he also nice put too much emphasis on where a signing comes from over just how are they taking to their new place? Mm -hmm. Good point. And what do you make of this Thunder Rosa situation? It's very, uh, you know, there's some, some talk about her being disgruntled and this whole injury thing. And there's a, there's kind of a, a weird, halo above her so to speak a stink halo almost you know of just something just seems the situation seems off a bit and what, what what's your take on it part of me wonders if we're getting another punk situation where you know there's stuff percolating that should probably be addressed and it seems like a i mean maybe they are addressing it. obviously i do not know the backstage workings but you're seeing a lot of the wrestlers <laughs> at least a couple major people like our uh, Tony Storm made a little kind of dig at Thunder Rosa during one of her press conferences when she was champ. You know, Britt certainly will allude to things like AEW does not seem to have a problem with people kind of shiving Thunder Rosa. And again, <laughs> it, it's probably deserved, but I'm like, I wonder if you're Thunder Rosa, at what point do you just feel like I've got to clap back on this, you know? And, and I, and I, and I feel like if I'm talking, if I really want Thunder Rosa to say, stay, you need to kind of have like a come to Jesus meeting and get everyone together and just be like, we need to like, just work this out because it's fun, you know, to do your jokey sandbag comments, but we tried like letting the wrestlers sort things out themselves before once a few months ago. And uh, 
it didn't really work out so great. Exactly. Are you a big uh, Japanese wrestling watcher? Uh, yeah, not as much as I used to be. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty busy right now, but definitely I enjoy some Japanese wrestling for okay. sure. I always ask because I am not. I am uh, familiar with it, but I'm not uh, a big fan. So I'll, I'll go through these and we'll kick it over to you. Obviously, you know, the biggest news uh, from Japan, really one of the biggest news in, in wrestling of the year. Uh, again, overshadowed by all the you know huge other stuff, was Antonio Noki passing away, seventy nine years old. Uh, New Japan named the named him uh, honorary lifetime chairman prior to his death, and kind of a, a, a reconciliation of, of points there. But I guess we'll just start there, and I'll kind of read through the rest. I you know I wasn't uh, again that kind of before my time, uh, but you know his his impact was felt because. He was such a major figure. He had uh, the relations with uh, with Vince and working over here, and was just kind of seen as this uh, this mythic figure. Had his issues, of course. I think like every pro- uh, successful promoter wrestler does, and so on. His detractors and so on. But you know, he had the the crossover match with Muhammad Ali, who's such a you know a cultural figure, at least to to wrestling fans, and, and obviously in Japan to a much bigger extent than here. But it was uh you know he's been failing health and so on. But it was it was a uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting story that I think in, in the year is going to get looked over because of obviously the, the Vince stuff and, and everything going on WD and AEW just kind of dominates our thoughts. But, you know, when you kind of look at the top 10 stories of the year in terms of impact, uh, this seemed to be a, a pretty big one to a lot of people. I, I mean, in some ways, you can argue this is the biggest wrestling story of the year other than maybe Vince McMahon being stepping down because... <laughs> Like there are different, it's weird to rank them this way, but there are tiers of wrestling deaths. Like there's the wrestling deaths where they will be a big story to the wrestling community, but it won't filter through to like uh, general media. There are the wrestling deaths where it will be a big deal to wrestling and it will kind of hit the public media. Like something like a Randy Savage where it won't be a major story, but you know, the news, the news sites, the, your local TV news will probably mention it at least. Yeah, they'll, they'll mention it at least briefly. And then there, there are those wrestling deaths, and there's only going to be like a few in our lifetimes ever where it's going to be like a major news event, period. Like, And, you know, Antonio Noki is one of the ones where he is not just a big wrestling star. He is a cultural icon that transcends wrestling. And we have very few of those. Like probably the ones that will be coming in the future as more as this is to talk about will be like, when Vince McMahon dies and when Hulk Hogan dies, you know, in the coming next few decades, because, you know, I mean, he was a politician. He, you know, you read that a uh, bit Dave wrote uh, in the observer, you know, he was in a match that was watched by like two thirds of the country. You know, I mean, he is just, you know, he is a star in a way that very few people in wrestling history will ever be stars you know guys like santo in mexico or guys like that and it's also interesting in the sense of he's a legend but a lot of people also have very valid reasons to dislike him like he's one of those classic guys where he built new japan into a huge wrestling company but in the early 2000s you know when he kind of went with his classic way of you know the way to get wrestling stars over is to have them fight MMA and real legit athlete stars and try and create stars that way. You know, he almost killed new Japan because he forgot the missing secret ingredient of when he did that, when he was young, which is you have the fights be fake. So you win. (laughs) And instead he just served up like potential star after potential star 
to get slaughtered by legit like top level fighters like Fedora Emelianenko and uh yeah like you I, I feel like he if he had died right then his uh legacy's probably there's probably fewer people that are more are are open to like say like saying his praises but again time heals wounds he you know he was out of the wrestling association largely for the last couple of decades and uh yeah, people can celebrate him again now. Mm. Let's go over the rest of the month. Uh, New Japan held two nights of Royal Quest Two uh, from uh, the UK. FTR versus Aussie Open. What a banger they had at that show! And then uh, Jonah missed the show due to uh, travel issues or visa issues, something along those lines. Kushida still recovering from the very painful hand, foot, and mouth disease off Declaration of Power. Also, some uh, some other shows as well. Tangaloa was announced to be missing the rest of the year following surgery on his MCL. We had Declaration of Power. We had uh, Jay White defending the uh, IWGP world title against Tamatanga. The reveal of the N New Japan World TV title, a giant square belt that looked like a TV. And the bracket was later revealed as well. Uh, the company dedicating Wrestle Kingdom 17 to Antonio Noki. And the main event, of course, set for that. Two title matches were announced for Wrestle Kingdom as that card continued to take shape. The, then there was this weird situation with Carl Anderson. So obviously I mentioned the Good Brothers signed with WWE earlier. At the point, at this point, still never open weight champion. Uh, and he was set to take on Hikaleo at Battle Autumn in Osaka. And he said he would be there. Then he said he wasn't. He said he was double booked. Great mood appeared at the show. But it was just, guy. This is aside from all this, it was this kind of strange what is he going to be stripped? What's going to happen? There was uh, um, comments from Hikaleo. There were comments from other wrestlers as well. The company was making comments. Everyone was making comments. We don't know what anyone idea was going on. Uh, long story short, Carl Anderson, still the never open champion, is actually going to be at the Tokyo Dome, I believe, to defend the title. So another one of those uh, WWE Japanese uh, organization deals. So we'll kind of see where that goes. Uh, former young lion Katsui Kanemura passed away. Will Nightingale was set to make her Japan uh, Japan debut for TJPW. That was a rescheduled day from earlier in the year. She was unable to make. We had a New Japan Strong Showdown being taped. Jay White, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Minoru Suzuki all in action at those tapings. Strong was announced as being uh, as returning to Los Angeles in November. FTR was set for Battle Autumn in Osaka against the United Empire. Great Muda's final New Japan match was announced for the uh, New Japan Stardom Historic Crossover Show. And they had two New Japan uh, pay-per-views in the United States in New York City the, on a Thursday and then a Friday before Halloween. The night before Rumble on 44th Street included surprise appearances by John Moxley, Jonathan Gresham, and Crowbar. It was a, it was a show where no matches were announced beforehand. It was essentially you're gonna, you get what you get when you get there. But fans seemed to like it. And then, of course, uh, the actual Rumble on 44th Street itself. Okada and Kingston taking on uh, Bullet Club. And then uh, the Motor City Machine Guns winning the New Japan Strong Tag Team titles from Aussie Open at this show. Thoughts about any of that? I love how much controversy and the the weaving of this story and is it real and is it fake and then it turns out it's a story around Carl Anderson and you realize it's all building up Carl Anderson versus Hikaleo or Carl Anderson and Tamatanka like <laughs> it's like you you get this huge build up and then you kind of forget what what the pot of gold at the end of this rainbow is like one or two coins there isn't a lot but i i guess that's the point of wrestling though you know it's it's to add color and excitement to maybe matches that on their own wouldn't have a lot of that so in that sense you know well done you you've hooked up we've spent you know the wrestling people 
people who talk about wrestling in general have spent far more hours talking about this match than they ever would otherwise. So in that sense, everyone has wildly succeeded there. But I just feel like sometimes I have to, like when I, I listen to occasionally like a podcast that might talk about this for five to 10 minutes, I have to remember, like pinch myself and realize, wait, this is building a match that no one's going to care about probably. Like, but uh yeah, you know, New Japan's continuing to be in its own kind of like the matches, there's still good wrestling they're happening every month, but they're a company that feels desperately need in need of a sport. Uh, they are in a competition with AEW for who can have the most title belts. I love this arms race. I hope now with more rumors of uh further AEW New Japan like partnerships and stuff like maybe with the Ring of Honor brand. I hope they have a special AEW New Japan like co-produced title. Yes. Like let's just lean into this now and have like another title that is just for those two promotions to share. Oh, singles title and tag team titles of course, right? Yes, and a women's title. Oh, the women's title. Yes, that'd be great. Fantastic. Uh, let's and one go- just for Toro Yana. Yes. <laughs> yes, that'd be great. Uh, all right, let's go through uh, Impact real quick. Uh, Scott Demore uh, on a podcast with me, <clears throat> explained moving his pay-per-views <laughs> to Fridays and their future on Access TV. Essentially, uh, kind of paraphrase, uh, they're a big on-demand company, put it that way. Not a lot of people wa- watch them live, so people can watch when they want, when they want, uh, and and yeah. So we'll we'll kind of see what that uh, if that continues in the year ahead. Impact Bow for Glory, one of their biggest events of the year. Uh, Josh Alexander defending the world title against Eddie Edwards in the main event. Frankie Kazarian won the X Division title on this show. Bully Ray returned. What year is this? <laughs> Winning the uh, <laughs> Call Your Shot Gauntlet, setting up a, a, a an angle a, a program. That's going to uh, con- uh, consume, not consume, consummate rather. In January, it's hard to kill. Uh, Dirty Dango made his debut in the show, and I think he's really been seen since. I think he worked like a, a, a taping, and that was about it. Matt Cardona returned, obviously him uh, recovering from his uh, bicep sur- surgery. The Death Dolls won the Knockouts Tag Team titles, and Hard to Kill was announced for Atlanta in January. The Kingdom. Vincent and Maria, all done with Impact Wrestling. Of course, the Kingdom and Maria, eventually, and Maria were eventually going to sign with AEW. Vincent, it looks like he could be WWE bound. It could be part of this whole, uh, you know, Bray Wyatt thing. I know he did a tryout and so on, so we'll see what happens there. Mia Yim also became a free agent as well. She would uh, return to WWE. Chris Bay sticking around, signing a multi-year contract to remain in Impact. Remember, he said he was a big fan of Impact growing up, so that was a big reason to stay. So you don't hear that too often. Frankie Kazarian, after he won the X Division title, relinquished the X Division title in exchange for an Impact World title shot. That would happen at Overdrive in November. Also, the X Division title tournament finals were set for Impact Overdrive as well, so they announced this whole tournament that would take place on TV. And also PCO sticking around, signing a one-year contract extension. Thoughts about any of that? Um. Well, when I think of Impact Adventure, I feel bad because I feel like there's a lot of good wrestlers there. I don't think when I check in, the show is really bad. I feel like it's just a victim of a glut of wrestling. And I feel mm-hmm. there's there are times I go, I said, I should talk about Impact more. I should watch it more often. It's like, why don't people get into Impact more? And then you see something like Bully Ray is back and he's immediately being pushed into the main event scene. <laughs> and I go, oh, that's why I don't watch Impact more. <laughs> and things, things like this. And uh yeah, it, it's it is interesting the whole Scott Demore thing because um, yeah, you would think you know Friday's not maybe not always the best night for pay per view, but I do feel like the times you hear about Impact, it's usually not the card on paper that sells. It's it is like oh, 
something really, really good happened that's worth going out of your way to see. They probably do. I would be interested. I don't know if he talked about it with you on the show, how many replay buys they do. You know, I mean, how many are verse are not live, you know, because I think they said something. I think Dave said in the Observer that uh, uh, the first Friday pay-per-view did actually do like it did not do huge numbers, but it did do a year over year increase, or I think an increase over the last show that was on a oh, something over the la- the show that was on a weekend. So, in that sense, it tells you that Impact's audience is probably loyal, and it probably is more. If the show is really good, we'll catch it at another time. They're a big after the fact company. Like the, the yeah. I always you always hear about great matches after the fact. They kind of go to you know the uh, usually observe radio when they don't they don't really cover Impact that much if at all, but often Dave will say, I heard about this match this weekend that was really great. And it's often like, it's it's always the main events of these specials, of these shows. It's a Josh Alexander and Alex Shelley or Alexander and Eddie Edwards. And he's always talks about, but it's not really, the rest of it really hasn't caught on. Yeah, it, you, you're, you're saying a familiar refrain. It's been throughout the course of years that I think impact for a lot of fans has shed the, the Vince Russo stink and, and, and the Dixie Carter stuff and just they can't get out of their own way. If you if you watch a show and you kind of follow along with it, and I said this during the, the talk with Scott, it's very, uh, it's easy, it's logical. They have their weird stuff every once and again, but it's it's good matches and it's, it's not like the NWA where you're kind of like, what is this roster, you know? It's a yeah. good roster, they invest in it, they do short, short runs with towns, they bring them in. I mean, look at all the New Japan people they've had in. But it it hasn't caught any fire yet. It's good, but it's not good enough to get up to that next level. And I think for Access TV, is tough for people to get. And again, with so much of the, the wrestling itch being scratched in places, you can't just have great matches. Everyone has great matches around the, the yeah. world on, on a given every single day, it seems, right? You got to do something else. And they haven't been able to get that yet. It's I think it's going to take a large like investment amount or something like that. But as you see more and more of these groups kind of pop up and it's uh it's, it's just hard. They exist and they try to do the best they can, but it's going to be, it's, it's near impossible unless they get something big and it's going to take an infusion of capital and like a real TV deal to really kind of capture that. I got to watch these guys every week. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where, I feel like, like you hit the nail on the head where you say, you know, the good wrestling isn't enough anymore because there's such a glut of it. Every promotion basically has to ask themselves. I always say this to people like, what do I, what does my show or my promotion offer that you can't get anywhere else? And mm-hmm. and good matches is, or even good promos is not necessarily that answer. And I feel like that's the one question. It's not that, you know, interesting things or good matches don't happen on impact. Or like you said, it's not that they don't have some good, really good wrestlers on that roster. It's literally, do they have an answer to that question? What do you get if you watch impact that you can't get anywhere else? It's like not just a specific wrestler, but like a theme, you know? And I feel like a lot of promotions don't have a good answer to that question right now. So yeah, we're about to talk about a few of them. This is the junk. (laughs) This is everything else that happened throughout the month, which includes a lot of these other promotions. So, Ricky Steamboat announces teaming with FTR in his return match, which just seems to be, it's like when you need a, a legend and, and Ric Flair obviously didn't follow this along, but follow this trend rather. It's like, if you have a legend, you need to, you need to carry him along. Just call FTR, be in their corner. They, they'll be there in like a second, right? I mean, they are just all about these shows. But yeah, Rick Steamboat uh, announces a team with them in his return match. Frey Prince Jr. confirmed that he made what he called a creative offer to Bray Wyatt. Obviously he did not sign with Freddie Prince Jr. in this uh, 
promotion that who knows when it's going to take shape. We talk about NWA, one of those promotions that is uh, just trying to figure out who it's trying to appeal to, and, and oftentimes it's a head-scratcher trying to figure that answer out. Hard Times 3 for November was taking shape. There's <laughs> EC3, of course, uh, announced for the show. Why? Who knows? This weird Nick Aldis situation continued to develop, taking on Odinson, uh, announced for the pay-per-view, and then Chelsea Green was added to the women's title match, making it a three-way. Billy Corgan said he was open to the NWA being a developmental brand for either WWE or AEW. Get out of here. You know, it's just no kidding. He was, he was open to that. Get some sort of attention <laughs> and most importantly money. Uh, MLW held Fightland again, another promotion trying to figure out where they are. Uh, they had a last man stand, last man standing match for the world title featuring uh, hammerstone Mance Warner versus Enzo Leo rush, Jacob Fatu. We had uh, Dave boy Smith and the Billington Bulldogs, the nephews of the dynamite kid. Taya Valkyrie defending the featherweight title against Trisha Dora. Lindsay Dorado defeating Shun Skywalker for the middleweight title. Gary Juster and Delirious uh, joined MLW in behind-the-scenes roles. The company, the after this is another thing too. You can't keep teasing big announcements and big, you're talking to this streaming company and this is going to happen. All this stuff and big news coming, and then announce that your streaming deal is with Pro Wrestling TV, and <laughs> that's just a huge just wet fart of an announcement. I mean, good for them, but I mean, come on. Uh, Matt Stryker, now speaking of that, uh, Matt Stryker returning to the broadcast booth for MLW. Uh, Bobby Fish uh, making his boxing debut in a Floyd Mayweather exhibition undercard overseas. I believe it was Saudi Arabia, if I'm remembering right. And then uh, Nick Gage defeating John Moxley in a career versus title match at GCW Fight Club Night One, essentially uh, ending Moxley's title run for now. We'll see if he comes back at some point this year. Uh, PWG announced a full card for the Dink event, which is uh, on November 6th, a tribute to, I believe his name is Alan Dinkinson, uh, Dave's friend that he talked about a lot on Wrestling Observer Radio. Uh, let's stop there and uh, get your thoughts on any of that. Uh, the MLW stuff is hilarious. Uh, I, I feel like Court Bauer is the boy who cried wolf. I, like I, At this point, you believe anything he hypes up, like you get excited for it. You are you only have yourself to blame. Like I, I feel like Court Bauer is the kind of parent who he tells his kid he's getting a PlayStation for Christmas, but he doesn't even get him a PlayStation Five nor a Four. It's a Three. And he's like, <laughs> look, I just said PlayStation. You, you you can't get mad. And I feel at this point when he does that to you enough, you you uh you can't. I, honestly, I love Court Bauer now. Keep doing stuff like this. I want this forever. Like hype a huge hype more huge deals. Um. The, the the Nick Gage thing, you know, it was interesting how that played out where, you know, they were clearly building to that for a long time. Like Gage, they they even put the retirement step. If like Gage loses, he retires. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, he probably would have beaten Moxley clean. And then because Moxley had to become champion again in the wake of the CM Punk fiasco and the his injury, uh, they have to have Big Bill come in and interfere to cause the Moxley oh, the match. Right. Like, yes. Yeah, they, they had to... Uh, you know, give him a soft landing. Although, you know, to AEW's credit, I think a lot of promotions probably wouldn't have, they would have just pulled him out of the match maybe or something. But, and to Moxley's credit, he probably would have insisted on something like that. And, you know, they they found a way to make it work, but it is funny that, you know, for probably the biggest match, you know, that in some ways that GCW ran this year and one of the biggest matches they would ever run, they had to have William Morrissey play a key role in it. But... Yeah, it's 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 been a wild year, you know, for things like that to happen. And to no big surprise, it was never followed up on AEW TV. 
No. <laughs> well, yeah. he changed his name. That's a huge follow-up. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of weird stuff. Anyway, let's uh, let's round things out. Triple uh, A had their final Triple Mania of the year, of course, their thirtieth anniversary. Vikingo defeating Ray Phoenix in the uh, title in a match for the Vikingo's Mega Championship. Viano Four lost his mask in the uh, De Muerta tournament. Uh, really, it's De Muerta. I don't know how to pronounce that, but what have you. Uh, Viano Four losing his mask, revealed to be an old man. GCW stars <laughs> attacked Vikingo after the match, and then they also they announced a Disney Plus show. Uh, it would appear in Mexico only. Rey Mysterio appeared via video during the show. Cybernetico lost his hair during the show. And then Conan afterwards said that Kenny Omega couldn't send a video for the show due to quote-unquote legal issues. Uh, Laredo Kid, obviously a member of Impact and also AAA, had to go under uh, undergo emergency surgery. That was a little bit scary there, but it, he uh, seems to be pulling out of that. Okay. Vikingo secured a work visa to work in the United States. And however, if you hope to see that via streaming, you are out of luck. FTR defending the AAA tag team titles announced for December. Sad story, Tristan Nash, the just 26-year-old, 26 years old, the son of Kevin Nash, passing away. Hope McCallany, uh, more tyranny, and Lily James signed on to join the Iron Claw cast. And finally, Tessa Blanchard gave an update on her in-ring status, since she was focusing on college and making one or two matches or appearances a month. Thoughts about any of that? Well, this is always weird. Like it, It's weird when you do, I've done this once or twice in the past, where you want to recommend a podcast, but it's actually like a heart-rending listen. And I feel like, uh, you know, when Brody Lee passed away, there was that great AEW-branded podcast with his wife yep. that she did months later talking, like, just such bravery going into excruciating detail and showing the strength of, like, recounting his final weeks and months. And I feel like Tristan Nash, like... Kevin Nash, if you have not heard that podcast he did, I mean, I, it's weird. Like, again, I don't know if I can outright say I recommend this. I, I feel like it's not a pleasant listen. It's probably not something that a lot of people probably would even want to hear. But, the, you know, there's not much like like that to hear a man who lost his son days earlier just be so raw and honest and yeah like it's it, it's compelling i think you could probably some people could probably find some strength from it but so i, I always just want to mention that and then i guess it's hard to transition after that but like triple mania i feel like triple mania like wrestling like lucha big lucha mask matches are like the super bowl for me where i'm not a football fan but you know i'll watch the super bowl i feel like if you tell me there's a big lucha mask match i'm in you know <laughs> even though i don't have time to watch lucha it's like uh, you know it, it's 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 weird because it feels like you almost get 70% of like the fun and you don't earn it because like you get to kind of cherry like like jump on the fun of oh this huge emotion of people in the crowd are crying and the wrestlers crying and it's like this thing they've wrestled with for in, in the case of Volano for for literal decades. And it's like, I'm here too, guys. Like I'm watching, I'm getting to enjoy this, but like, I haven't been there week to week, month to month, year to year. It's the same thing with the Super Bowl. It's like, you're getting to watch this huge emotional thing, but you haven't been there. If you're like me every week watching the regular season, you don't know who most of these players are. And so it is like my favorite drop in wrestling love is I love the once or twice a year. I can just watch a mask match and just, cherry pick and be real excited and then just because i don't have time not watch lucha again for another year you know it's sad it. to say but i i do enjoy that nice uh before i let you go and uh do uh, some more plugs i need to ask you about uh what your thoughts are on the current state 
of Ring of Honor, given that you're doing the podcast. Obviously, it's going back a lot further. But what are your current state thoughts on uh, on how things are going and, and any optimism for the future or kind of what's your take on it? Uh, I think the big question with Ring of Honor is the question I asked before, which is what are they going to do that no one else does? And they have not answered that yet. I mean, the they've only put on three pay-per-views. They've done no TV shows, so it's still early to ask. But those pay-per-views have been really pretty damn good wrestling shows, but kind of just straightforward wrestling shows with a AEW-ish, but kind of pared down roster with some guys that don't work there. And if if Ring of Honor just becomes a good promotion that has a lesser roster than Ring of Honor, and, and Tony talked about it having separation from the Ring of Honor roster, but it's booked in a similar way and all of that, like, I don't see that being an excess. I see that in some ways being like a supersized impact where it's a promotion where people can say, yeah, it's a good show, but I already got so many other hours of wrestling to watch. And I feel like that's the huge, more than is the show going to be entertaining? I don't really have a doubt about that. I have a doubt about, is it going to have a compelling argument for why you need to carve out like another, I guess maybe 60 minutes, I assume a week, you know, why, if you already watch some WWE and some AEW and some Japan or whatever, you know, the average wrestling fan, you know, they're already having so many hours in their diet. And I just wonder, like, Tony Khan's insisting on booking it. Like, is he going to be able to book a, another company differently? Is Ring of Honor going to be more like a next level developmental? Is it going to be like the NXT to AEW? Is it going to be something where he just tries crazy ideas? Like, there's so much on the table, but if I had to just if someone set a gun to my head and just said, what do you think it's going to be based on the three pay-per-views? I think it's just going to be more good wrestling. And yeah. I think that's going to be a tough case to sell, especially if you don't get to watch it for free. It's going to have to be $10 a month to see it. I think that's a hard sell. I, my instinct. I, I agree. I am wondering and thinking that this is a test run for their, eventual own streaming service for being AEW. And the reason I say that is because Tony Khan was talking so much about the technology that basically Sinclair paid for. And that uh, I think I think they wanted to stress test the service and get paid for it and kind of under the veil of uh, we're going to have this uh, this TV show. But I mean, the first chance that they get at selling a TV show somewhere else, that thing is going to be off there really quick. But I, I am wondering if it's some sort of Trojan horse for that because I mean, he bought this thing in, in March and he kept talking. If we've gone through a series TV deal coming soon, optimistic, blah, blah. And it just kind of like kept going and going and going. Even in this month, we, we talked about that, but it, it never happened, which is a it kind of surprising in its own right, but maybe not, you know, considering you know, I, I think a lot of people think wrestling is a lot hotter than it is. I think it's, I think it's hot in some aspects to us because we kind of live it and, and care about it every day, but to the outside world, it's, it's not, you know? So I am, I'm wondering if it's some sort of kind of like a, a test run Trojan horse for that. Uh, but again, it's, it's what, how is it going to be different? And I, I don't know if his vision is it, it vision is for it to be that much different because that takes a really bold move to be different. And uh, I don't know if he wants to do that. And I, you know, he's obviously made, as he's alluded to, made the money back. It seems to be what he seems to be saying with all the, you know, the pay-per-view numbers and things like that. So maybe he's just happy to have the tape library and kind of figure it out and, and have this uh, streaming service technology paid for. That's kind of my, kind of my read based on like the last month or so. 
Yeah. And, you know, the way he's talked about it, you know, he had a very short time to make the decision because otherwise they were just going to sell it to WWE and they were was going to shutter it and just own the tape library and stop another piece of competition. You know, even though it wasn't a major competition by this point. And, you know, some people are going, well, why did Tony do it? You know, it doesn't make financial sense, blah, blah, blah. It's like he is a wrestling fan. Like he is allowed to sometimes make decisions just because he likes wrestling. You know, not everything has to be bombed out like even ted turner back in the day at wcw you know there were years where people in his own media company were like trying to say like wcw is losing money like just shut it down but he had a loyalty and an affinity towards wrestling and so you know sometimes i think people kind of forget that sometimes billionaires might just do things because they 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 like doing it and um yeah but yeah clearly i think this this was not his plan to put this on honor club because very recently on one of the more recent press conferences before this announcement, someone even asked, you know, why don't you, you know, Ray still doesn't have TV and you keep talking about getting a TV contract. Why don't you just throw it on YouTube? And he was like, I think Ray deserves better than this. It deserves a TV deal. And then a few months later, it's on honor club for 10 bucks a month. So I think this is him saying, I kept hoping I could talk Warner into this. I couldn't at least yet. I can't wait forever. I have to do something with it. I own this. I can do it. It's easy. And of course, the the advantage of Honor Club is if if tomorrow someone decides they want a TV deal, or if, if when he negotiates a new TV deal for AEW, he can include this and get get them to put Ring of Honor on as a throw in. Like he can take it off of Honor Club in a second. So I, I kind of just see all of this as a stopgap. It's just this is something to keep it warm. We can't just do a pay-per-view once every three or four months anymore. Mm-hmm. And hopefully in the future, we get to do something bigger, whether that's like an HBO Max or a TV deal or something. Agreed. All right. Before we let you go again, plug away. Where can people read you, feel you, see you? The floor is yours. Oh. Well, if you want to listen again through the ears, that's T-H-R-O-H on all your, uh, for through on all your podcast feeds. We've done over a hundred episodes. We've covered every Ring of Honor event from 2002. We're in the middle of 2006 now. So we've covered a ton of the classic stuff. We've had great guests, just a lot of fun. It's probably the best thing I do. Um, Twitter, that's the thing people like the most that I do, but (laughs) it's probably, probably, it's not good that people think well of Twitter, that what I do on it. It's, it's, it's a sign, it's a sign of weakness on their part, but uh, at Trevor Dame, D-A-M as in mother E, uh, you know, I have listicles and things you'll see on Wrestling Inc. Uh, if you go on to my Twitter, I have links to my email that you can get in contact with me. If you have business opportunities, you know, if you want me to write for you, I am available for hire for the right price. And yeah, that's basically it. Right? That's all my stuff. Well, I'm holding out hope, Trevor, that you will be on the uh, first uh, first ever Ring of Honor pre-show panel. I think that would be great. Uh, who knows what will happen in the future? I think it would be uh, pretty funny. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad that you said yes. You were able to come on. Uh, like I said, I've enjoyed your stuff for a while, and I think it's awesome you, you're doing this ROH-focused podcast because, as I've said before on the show, I think there's way too many let's review uh, every – let's review Rob, let's review AEW, let's review this every single week. I think there's, there's, a, there's an appetite out there for niche – podcasting like this i know that uh garrett kidney does his um uh the impact focused stuff you're doing this i think that that keeps some of this old stuff alive that still matters and you watch it and you get nostalgic and you're like oh it's good shit back then or maybe some silly shit but let's not forget about it i think that you're doing uh you know uh, attach too much weight to it but like 
a historical document in a lot of sense that yeah. otherwise content that may just be forgotten and people can get back into it and, and watch it and, uh, and follow along with. I think that's a, that's a fun experience, especially for people that are looking for something different to watch. If uh, they don't feel like watching three hours of raw, they can watch uh, a ring of honor show and then follow along with the podcast. And it makes it, makes it a lot of fun. I think so. Well done. Yeah, that's a, It's a lot of fun. And if you listen to two episodes ago, you, you can hear sheer panic in my voice as I listen to a domestic dispute that happens in my neighbor's apartment. So uh, <laughs> everyone can win when you listen. You never know what's going to happen. Anything can happen in the through the years wrestling federation. So uh, thankfully that did not happen during this podcast. So uh, this is this this has been a great time. Great. Well, great sell job for the podcast. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. Trevor Dame, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you. All right. Big thanks to Trevor Dane for stopping by. I was glad to have him on. First time talking to him and probably won't be the last time. Really funny stuff. Again, check out stuff through the years. Uh, retrospective on Ring of Honor. Of course, through spelled R-O-H as well. The other stuff he was talking about as well as work wrestling, Inc. And, uh, and so on and so forth. Check it out at Trevor Dame on Twitter. So, yeah, that was a crazy month. And we got two more months left. November and December. So November will be coming up next week at some point, and also the third installment of the MMA Year in Review series. And then we'll wrap things up after the first of the year. And yeah, it's a good time of year. I hope it's good for you. I am looking out the window at hurricane-style winds here in the Northeast, and it is uh, 55 degrees. All the snow is melting, and it looks like we're kind of resetting back to spring almost. Of course, it's going to drop to like 19 degrees, and we'll have an ice rink tomorrow morning. But that's your weather report here from uh, the beautiful Northeast. Hope I know that there's a cold, uh, cold snap everywhere. The polar vortex. We're back in one of those winters happening. But hope you guys are gonna have a great holiday weekend. And hopefully that again, stay safe. Don't drink a drive. Be smart. And yeah, great. 2023 coming ahead. All types of fun stuff. So uh, looking forward to talking with you more about all that stuff in the weeks ahead. So until next week, have a great Christmas. Happy. Qu- Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. And until next time, insert catchphrase here.